Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow, and much, much more. I hope you're doing well. It's been a pretty crazy couple of weeks since you heard from us last. Following the death of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter protests in the US and all around the world, racial justice is becoming a priority for many, many people. It's obviously very important to Joe and myself, being an interracial couple, and we've really tried to explore this topic on the podcast. I've compiled a playlist on Spotify of all of our conversations with people of color, and there's some really great and thoughtful conversations there, so definitely check it out. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. We also want to speak with more Indigenous people for the podcast this coming year. I really feel we could be doing a lot more in this area, so we definitely commit to doing better. Joe and I had a conversation about many of our thoughts around racial justice and the Black Lives Matter movement, which I uploaded to our Patreon page, so head over there and have a listen if you've got time. For our episode today, we're speaking with Jordan Ashley. Jordan is a yoga teacher and the founder of Souljourn Yoga. Souljourn Yoga Foundation is a non-profit that raises awareness and funds for girls' education in lesser economically developed countries by teaming up with both local and international non-profits. They've hosted retreats in Rwanda, Morocco, Peru and many more locations. Souljourn co-designs retreats with their partner organisations on the ground by weaving in local practices of tradition, meditation and movement so that it's a culturally contextual experience of equality and not hierarchy. Alright, this episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Yoga Australia. Registering teachers and training courses to ensure that everyone in Australia has access to quality yoga teachers. All right, I've gone on for far too long. Let's get into our conversation with Jordan Ashley. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I was wondering if we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. So I'm from LA originally, hence why I have the accent of of Cher from Clueless. I've never been able to to do it, (laughs) even though I'm not even from the Valley. But yeah, I grew up in Southern California with my, my mom and my dad and my parents divorced when I was six. And so my mom and I uh, spent a lot of time together in terms of her exposing me to kind of the best of LA's new age culture. um, And a lot of that had to do with yoga. And so, yeah, I really attribute my whole journey with the practice with with spending time with her. So did you guys go to yoga classes together when you were a kid? We did. We would go to a lot of classes together and also uh, kirtans as well, which which I really loved in terms of recall and response and, and being able to to sing, which which I enjoyed. And then Growing up in LA and going to liberal, progressive arts academies, we actually got to take yoga for physical education. And so we would, yeah, we would go to the local yoga studio and and do class, which was great. Oh, that sounds lovely. And so I know that you have a background in journalism. When did that curiosity begin? I always wanted to do journalism and I always wanted to travel. And uh, I really loved the idea of being able to 
connect with different people and find out what comprised their existences or what really made them tick and just learning about kind of the different aspects of, of, I guess, our human experience. And so I always love interviewing people and talking to people and, and really having that kind of connection. And for me, journalism felt very accessible as well, because there's something slightly, hmm, how do I say this? I guess you're very much on the outside looking in. And so I think for a long time, it felt very safe in terms of operating from that place. And so how has your previous life and maybe continuing life as a journalist shaped your outlook and your approach today? Okay, so from doing journalism, I would say that it gave me exposure and really opened up my mind through, through travel. Just I, And I really believe travel is the best education. And it's also the biggest heart opener as well, because it's once again, honing into this idea of human connection. And so I studied journalism at uni, and then I moved to Southeast Asia and was a reporter and did NGO coverage predominantly. And so got to visit different charities and see how they operated. And then came back to the States after spending some time there in my early 20s and was freelancing and then delved back into the yoga practice and teaching and found that there was a big disconnect in terms of how people were practicing in terms of how they then kind of, I don't know, held themselves in the rest of the world. And I think it's really important to have what it means to be a yogi, in my in my humble opinion, means to really be compassionate and kind. And I think oftentimes there's a lot of judgment in terms of what makes someone a yogi or what makes someone a yoga teacher. And I think why we're all here, I hope, is is just to try to be of service. And I guess that leads us into Soldier and Yoga. Would you like to tell us about this project and what your goals are with it? So basically just from getting, sounds really bad, but just from getting really frustrated in terms of how yoga was being presented in LA and in New York and just feeling like it was very isolated and that people didn't really care about anything that was outside of their own periphery and wanting to really use it for social activism and to get people engaged with the world, I thought, what better way to do that than to create a platform that could then involve yoga. So more so in terms of uh, seva, so the service aspect in terms of giving back with purpose and then travel. So hosting global yoga retreats to countries that weren't typically hosting yoga retreats. So places that are often post-conflict or lesser economically developed. And then on top of that, adding in the component of girls' education. So having each and every person on the retreat then fund a partner organization that we will work with. And so what I'm getting a lot from a few of the things that you've said is sometimes people practicing yoga kind of have this little bliss bubble where it's all about them feeling good and some people don't want to deal with something that could be perceived as being negative, some of the stuff that's going on in our world right now. So it seems like your goal is really to open people's eyes and create real connections with other people across the world. 
And I even get this a little bit from what you were saying about your journalism, how when you started that, it felt really safe because you're on the outside looking in. And as you continued, it became more about making real connections. Would you like to speak about like how that's unfolded as you've continued with this project? Yeah, absolutely. I think you you phrased it perfectly in terms of surmising the whole the whole experience. And that's true. I think oftentimes in the yoga world, it's all about self-help, self-work, always kind of wanting to be a better individual instead of wanting to be a better individual to then better serve your friends, your family, your community, your world at large. And I think that's a really important shift, especially in the current state and what we are all dealing with in terms of really being a pillar of of strength and of compassion. And I feel really blessed. I didn't have to struggle for my education. It was handed to me. A lot of people I know also didn't have to as well. And so I think what better way to use yoga for good aside from the obvious physical, mental, and spiritual benefits, you know, of it is to actually do something that could then better someone else. And for me, that's education because nothing else will change the playing field, will help with climate change than to give women the same access and the same opportunities as our male counterparts. I'm 100% with you. And something else that I really love about your project is you're very aware of the donor and the recipient recipient hierarchy versus real personal connection. How have you navigated this dichotomy with your project and kind of gone from this paradigm of an anonymous donor just making a donation and feeling good about that? and an active participant who has like an ongoing relationship with the people that they're helping, but also acknowledging that those people are helping them as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's something that I've had to learn as a, as a, as a soldier and has grown and as it's progressed and that really trying to make sure that Every single time we are engaging with a local girls' education initiative or project on the ground, that it's always coming from a place of equality. So never saving, never helping. It's more about, as you said, this mutually beneficial relationship in which we're connecting. And so we do that a couple of different ways. One way is that we work with the same organizations year after year. And so it's a lifelong commitment. So it's not like one year we're going here because it's trendy. It's more so about making sure that this is a sustainable project. And so by doing so and by continuing to go to Morocco or Peru or Cambodia or Rwanda or uh, Nicaragua and connecting time and time again with the same community, with different people and different yoga teachers who come and volunteer, I think we're able to have bigger impact and it's not just for the girls who are getting the three to $500 donation per person that then goes to scholarships or sanitary napkins or books or uniforms or food or tutoring, but it's more so about having, and I can't say it over and over again, it's really about having 
that personal connection with someone who you wouldn't have had otherwise had you not come on this this journey with us. And so I think it's really important to keep striving on the point that everyone gets something out of this. We do lunch with the girls or an art project or we'll do yoga games. And so it's always really playful and it's really fun. So there's no healing, there's no saving, there's no trying to change anyone. It's just kind of everyone existing as they are, but coming together under the guise of community. And how do you choose the communities that are involved? So usually it's through personal connection. So I feel really blessed to, at this point, have a really amazing, incredible, supportive global community. And so an example of this would be our partner organization in Cambodia, which is called the Harry Lee Foundation. And they provide education for kids in Siem Reap. And so we work directly with their girls' dormitory, which hosts secondary school students from the outlying provinces. And I had originally done my study abroad program in Siem Reap and had lived with Harry Lee, who's a CNN hero and who started this absolutely incredible organization. And then when I was living in Cambodia uh, as a journalist, lived with her again, and she's my Khmer mom. And so it's amazing how this project has gone full circle and that now my charity is working directly with her. That sounds beautiful. And um, that already leads into my next question, which is how do you manage the logistics of all of these different projects all over the world and organizing yoga retreats? So I would say it's a kind of a one-woman show. <laughs> I, I pretty much do all of the logistics. We usually work with a local tour operator, uh, with the exception of Cambodia. I think from living there, I was able to kind of piece it together in terms of restaurants to go to and activities to do. But I think it's a really great way to also then feed back into the local economy is to having someone on the ground be there to to take us through more of a cultural immersion than than a tour. So specifically staying at places that are either eco-friendly or have a give back as well. And then aside from doing kind of like the bucket list destinations like Angkor Wat in Cambodia or the highest mountains in, in Morocco or Machu Picchu, it's then also weaving in the yoga practices, not having it be just asana, but also meditation or service as well. And then trying to navigate that in your country as well can be a bit like spinning plates, but somehow it always seems to work out. And so how do you find the participants? Are they people who you teach in yoga classes when you're at home or do they find you from your online presence or do you have another way of connecting with people? So we find our students either from the different teachers that volunteer with us through word of mouth. Now also because we've been around for a little bit, so people might read about us or see, learn about us from a publication, which is always great to get inquiries. And then because we're four years old, we'll get the same people who come over and over again. And oftentimes women will make friends with one another on one of the trips and then they'll plan the next adventure together, which is great. And so it's really lovely to be a part of that and in terms of people making friends or then hanging out together once the trip is done as well. 
Nice. And to change the topic a little bit, you're based in London now. So how did you end up there? I was in New York for 12 years, aside from, you know, traveling all the time and the time that I also spent in in Asia. And I felt like I needed a change. And as much as New York was great for my 20s, London has so far been really amazing for, for my 30s. And I have a lot of friends here and there's a really great yoga community here. And it's a couple ticks slower than New York. So that's also been really beneficial. I didn't realize how much or rather how stressed I was and kind of full of adrenaline I was. And it took me a couple of months just to slow down a bit. And so, yeah, I'm really loving living life here. It's, it's great. Nice. And I guess um, just for context, it's the 26th of March today. This episode will probably go out in a at least a couple of months. But I'm just wondering, how has the coronavirus affected you at the moment? So unfortunately, we've had to suspend our spring and summer retreats. And so that's been absolutely devastating for multiple reasons in terms of not being able to visit the partner organizations. This would have been the fifth year that we would have led our Peru retreat, which would would have been absolutely epic. And so having to put everything on hold and pause, it hasn't been fun, which I know is stating the obvious, but hoping to get back to things in October when we do our Morocco Sahara retreat with Education for All, which is a great organization in the Hyatt Mountains. And that'll be our the fourth time supporting them. And so it's definitely been a shift for me. I was supposed to leave in a few weeks to Sri Lanka and that's not happening now. And so it's figuring out new and different ways to engage and support and still be present. And hopefully this isn't too much of a personal question. Feel free not to answer if it is. Has this been a real blow for your own income as well? Like does Soldier support you personally or do you have other work outside of this? So the thing with the retreats is we do them as cost efficient as possible. Like no like I don't pay myself out, none of the teachers pay themselves out. So from the get-go, that was never a lucrative operation. The point of it is to fund the partner organizations. Uh, with that being said, we're now having to kind of hustle in terms of getting donations elsewhere. We also, because everything is paused, this is the time that we would also be applying for grants. And so things take a little bit longer or a little bit more quiet. And so knock on wood that it's not too hard of a time to kind of bring in some new income, but I'm definitely having to be creative about it. And have you heard from the communities that you have the relationships with around the world? Have they been affected by this health crisis or by being a bit more remote? Are they kind of okay for now? No, absolutely. It's affected all of them. All the girls' dorms have had to close down and the girls can't be there anymore. So they've had to they've had to go home, be it in Peru or Morocco or in Cambodia, the schools are closed. So everyone is 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 unfortunately dealing with this. And so it is it is a it is regression in that these are girls who are going to school and getting education and, and in dormitories and getting additional support to exceed and excel in school and now they're having to to stop and that's I mean I can't even imagine that must be very painful 
And I guess we're so lucky because we have easy access to fast internet. I could imagine that a lot of those girls back at home probably wouldn't have that access. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. I know a lot of the dorms have computer labs and and that kind of tech support. But in terms of when they do go home, I mean, oftentimes it's very indigenous and rural communities. And so I think people have can get information off their phones, but I'm not sure in terms of how many of them actually have a laptop. I imagine few and far between, to be completely honest. And so in your TED Talk, you mentioned the idea of this narrative that our own personal suffering is unique. I'd love to hear you expand upon your interpretation of this and how it might tie into this current global health crisis, which is really affecting all of us. Yeah, I mean, everyone has trials and tribulations and struggles and and obstacles. And it's like that saying you don't know someone's experience until you've you've walked in their shoes. And I think, you know, now more so than ever, it's it's the time for us to rally together and, and really be there for one another, even if we physically can't be in the same space as someone else. And so someone might seem like they have everything it all together and tied up with a bow, but in actuality, it might be a completely different story. And so I think it's that constant reminder of really, you know, never judging a book by its cover. It's an interesting thing as well, which it's like a paradigm that I've come across and we've spoken about in a few interviews as well, the differentiation between working on yourself and then making a positive difference in the world. And sometimes there's this point of view that you've got to sort yourself out before you can help other people. And then also there's the point of view that compassion and sharing and taking action in the world is also a path to personal feelings of fulfillment and contentment and like making life meaningful. I'd love to hear your point of view on working on yourself versus working out off the yoga mat out in the world, because it's something that you're obviously doing a lot of in your own life. That's really interesting. I, hmm. I think for me personally, I, I have a really hard time compartmentalizing and saying, I do this because this would be deemed as, as self-help or even, or even self-care, for example. I think for me, it's a much more kind of fluid, fluid experience in that I might be traveling and then dealing, doing a project on the ground or, or leading a retreat or doing our, our teacher training and then also dealing with a personal crisis back home. And so I can't get on a plane and leave and abandon the community or the project or the people that I'm working with. And so I think it's about being able to, to move with grace in those, in those situations. I mean, we're always growing and evolving and changing and shifting. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the human experience is that it's not permanent. If anything, it's one of impermanence. And so I think to really remind ourselves of that, especially now, especially under the conditions of living, everyone dealing with COVID-19, is that we will get through this. It's hard right now. And a lot of people are unfortunately suffering and in dealing with all kinds of hardships that probably, you know, I never thought I would deal with with pandemic in in my lifetime. And I think a lot of us maybe felt feel that way too. But then 
we will get through this and we will move past, past this, past this. And then I hope from this experience or from a lot of experiences, be it this or something else, it, it changes the way that we then decide to live our, to live our lives moving forward. And you also mentioned in, in your TEDx talk that nothing can compare with direct human connection and eye contact. So how do we navigate this in our current state of social distancing? I mean, this is a really unique situation that we're all in. I think FaceTime is great. I think being able to physically connect with your friends or your family or if you're teaching a yoga class and being able to see your students, I think that's a wonderful start in in, in the direction of in terms of being able to once again find a deeper connection. Also, like for instance, I was taking my dog out for a walk earlier today and this really nice man wanted to give her a pet and I'm not going to say no. Granted, we were feed and feed and feed apart for one another, but I could tell that just having the contact of petting the dog was was soothing. So I think what little we can do for one another right now is really important. Obviously, be safe, be responsible in terms of if you do have any physical interactions outside of the home. But I think now more so than ever, people are are being supportive of one another. And so that's something that I hope continues once all of this is passed. And so alongside that, is there anything that you're currently doing for your own self-care that you feel like is really helpful and that you'd like to share? I started knitting again, which I know is <laughs> it's probably <laughs> not, not, and I'm such a grandma. I learned how to knit. My, my <laughs> And so I started knitting again and I really like it. It's, it's very much, this is, it's very much a making meditation and that I can listen to something or watch something and just do the repetitive motion. And so that's been a really enjoyable experience to do. And then at the end of it, I'll have a scarf to give someone. I can only make scarves. It's my, it's my, it's my, (laughs) that's your specialty. (laughs) That's a good start. (laughs) I can make them thin or thick, but I can only make scarves. Um, I've never progressed past that. Uh, So knitting's been good. And then usually I love taking baths. I love doing face masks and kind of the more physical self-care things. Having little, little spa days for myself is always very soothing for me. About knitting, I also love a repetitive craft and I feel like there's this really interesting metaphor in it because each individual little stitch on its own is quite a small movement and once you've done it for a while, almost a muscle memory movement. And then when you kind of take that step back, you're like, oh, I've made a whole scarf. And I almost feel like a yoga practice has a similarity with that like take like a sun salute like each of those movements once you've done it a few times it's in your body you can just flow with it you don't have to think about where you're putting your hands and where you're putting your feet and then that's the little tiny element and then when you kind of zoom back from that you've created so much something so much bigger than all of the sums of those little parts I feel like there's something that happens in the brain that is, it's just very 
reassuring and at the same time this feeling of creating something that's bigger than the sum of all of those little individual pieces. So I'm not sure where the question is in that, (laughs) but I'm also a big believer in the power of craft. No, that's such a beautiful analogy. I, I absolutely love that. And you're right, especially with the yoga practice. It's, it's a culmination of, of the breathing and of maybe stretching your arms up or folding down and in. And it's when you piece it all together, then at the end of it, when you get up from Shavasana or from your meditation, it's you've had a full experience. So, or a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess as well, there's a patience in it. Is that something that's a challenge for you with your uh, with Soljan? Because I imagine that there are so many communities and so many girls in the world that you would like to help. And even with the communities that you're already working with, I'm sure every time you're there, you would just want to do more and more with these people. Do you have to kind of limit your brain? To, to not just get swept up in everything that you want to do to the degree where you're just completely drained and you can't do anything at all? No, yeah, 100%. I've had to really rein it in because I, if it was up to me and I had it was more than 24 hours in a day, we would be doing at least 10 retreats or projects a year. And I've had to really scale back in terms of being really specific about when when we're going, why we're going, and and who this is is really service um, serving at the end of it because it's very easy, especially with all of the travel and different time zones and, and adjusting to get very depleted and drained very fast. And personally, it always takes me about a week to ten days after being away and then coming back to my life in New York or my life in London to kind of reconcile with with that because it can feel very splitting and like there's a lot of duality there as well so it's hard it's a hard it's hard to find the balance all the time in that but I hope I'm I hope I'm getting better at it I feel like I am a little bit and just being more aware of that of that shift and I think if you're still doing it five years on then you've obviously found your rhythm with it I'm also wondering, like, you've chosen to focus on girls' education. I'd love to hear why this is such a unique resource. And also, was that a conscious choice, just to have one point of focus rather than focusing on everything? Yeah, no, it absolutely was a conscious choice. I mean, currently there's roughly 130 million girls who are out of school around the world. And this has to do with child labor, with conflict, cost, menstruation, natural disasters, child marriage. There's a whole milieu of of issues that these young women face and deal with. And so for me, it it was a no-brainer in that I feel really lucky to have been given education and to be given not only secondary education, but university education as well and how much of that has really shaped my life experiences and my quality of life and how absolutely vital it is to ensure that women all over the world can should be able to have the same opportunities allotted to them so that they can go off and become doctors or lawyers or artists or yoga teachers or or whatever it is with without having to to stress about 
shelter or sustenance or safety. Hello, Ran here to talk about our Patreon page. Patreon is just a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as $1 US a month. Higher tiers get access to extra special content as well as a listing on our website and a shout out on the podcast. Joe and I will be recording an addendum to some of our episodes and we're sharing some of our thoughts on this conversation and as I mentioned in the intro we spoke about our thoughts around racial justice and what role we can play and much much more. We'd love your support, so please go to patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you can share this episode on social media, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just reach out to us and let us know your thoughts on this or anything else. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Jordan Ashley. And so in the communities that you work with, I'm 100% with you on the importance of educating women and all of the ways that it can enhance life for everyone in a community for the better. But I imagine a lot of the communities that you work with would also have limited educational opportunities for the boys. Is that ever a conflict or ever a dilemma? Like if there's families where they're like, but what about our sons? So we specifically work with girls' education initiatives and projects but that's not to say that we don't also support male educational pursuits as well for instance we have an on-the-ground teacher training program so teaching people how to teach yoga to their friends their families their communities and have it be very adaptive so that it works for them so i was in rwanda in february and taught school teachers and the majority of the class were guys which was great and they loved it and they enjoyed it and they by the end of the workshop, they each said how much they benefited from from learning yoga and how they'll not only do it with their students, but then also do it at home as well. And so I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's important that everyone gets education, but women have been disenfranchised for years and years and years and years that I think that we need to be able, I think that for me, my calling is to, is to elevate that or elevate just to try to use, wait, I'm sorry. I'm like talking in circles. Um, <laughs> oh no, no. It's a, it's a tricky question because I, I actually, I totally understand what you're saying and about how the girls are particularly disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. And so your project is to help elevate their opportunities, but at the same time, you want to help create opportunities for everyone in those communities but you can't do everything all at once. Like you have to choose a focus. I mean, for me, it, for me, it's girls' education. But I would say that it's it's a holistic approach, and that if a girl goes to school and goes to university, then she will, let's just say, it's a, it's a traditional upbringing. And then she will also get married to someone who has attended university, and then their kids will be well taken care of. And then those kids will then have more access to education and and opportunities. And then it ends up turning into a ripple effect. Also, there's been many studies shown that if a woman is in charge of the purse strings of the house, then she will directly reinvest into the family in terms of making sure that her kids are clothed and fed and taken care of as well. And so... I mean, it's challenging because so many people all over the world don't have access to to education. And oftentimes it, it is. It's 
boys being pulled out of school to to assist their parents in you know, agricultural pursuits or marketplaces or who knows. There's so many different combinations of, of what could bring that on. But I feel like if I go down that rabbit hole, then for me next will be, you know, I'm also a big animal lover and very into animal rescue, then this could easily then turn into something else. And so I've had to keep it really streamlined just to make sure that I'm focused and that I'm accomplishing the one goal. And for the time being, that's using yoga for girls. And so have you got any advice for other yoga teachers or anyone listening who is feeling like they want to make a active positive difference in the world and in their own lives by working with global communities like where to start i would say the one place to start is to be really clear on what one's intentions are for doing this i think that i'm always very careful in terms of all of the interactions to make sure that once again it's one of equality so if we ever are taking photos with the young women, that it's everyone's permissions taken, everyone is always shown in a community setting, and that we're all engaging together. There's an unfortunate term, which is called poverty porn. So that's something that I am very, very, very adamantly against for obvious reasons. It's to never show someone in a position of disempowerment, but rather everyone is like uplifted. It's like you wouldn't want someone to take a photo of you, of you not feeling at your best and then have that be blasted across social media channels. So I think that's really important in terms of having intentions on on why. And then on top of that, do your homework. Doesn't matter if you're working in an animal sanctuary or if you are working with a education initiative or project. Orphanage tourism is an unfortunate thing that exists. So make sure that you do your homework and that any with any organization that one would want to engage with or that you would want to engage with. Because oftentimes prior my prior work of you know doing NGO coverage, not all NGOs are above board, just like any business is. So due diligence is a must. There's a whole white savior narrative as well, which comes into play, which I think you've already touched on into like, what are your intentions? Do you see yourself as helping these people? Or do you see yourselves as equals working together on these projects? And kind of really looking at that within yourself when you are coming from a more privileged background than the people that you're working with. And Do you have any, other than doing your research, like strategies of checking in or kind of getting mentorship or navigating the inherent difference in privilege when we are working with different communities around the world? Mentorship in terms of how how do how do how do we engage with with the communities like post retreat or I guess just say you are trying to set something up and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what the right thing is to do in this situation. I'm having a dilemma with this. I'm not sure if my own biases are speaking here or if what I'm thinking is grounded in reality. 
I guess like you've got your Khmer mum who is someone in that community that you already have like a real relationship with that you can check in with like is this right for this community or also just a process of being able to like check in with someone in the community directly and to see what this the community actually needs rather than coming in there with an agenda of what you think they need and trying to make that happen like do you have a process of I guess being able to stay on track with what's going to be actually beneficial within that community oh yeah no absolutely it's actually really interesting I always email beforehand to find out what what are the supplies that we can bring either to buy hopefully to buy locally like knock on wood that's best case scenario because once again supporting local economy etc etc beforehand to see what the participants can pack and usually I have everyone line their bags of sanitary napkins because that's something that every woman can benefit from around the world is, is having access to, to clean feminine hygiene. It's so important and something we so take for granted. So that's one thing. And that's pretty, pretty simple, and light and, and easy to do. And then it's interesting in that we'll do market runs with the girls and go get food to make, to make lunch together. But the girls really love the yoga. Um, I think oftentimes there's a lot of external pressure for them to excel at school because it's if they finish school and go to university, then once again, it's that you know trickle down effect of their whole family benefits because they get a better paying job. And so they'll have after school tutoring and late night study sessions. And so we do yoga in a really friendly and accessible way with, with the girls, especially our project in Cambodia, because it's the most volunteer heavy. And so it's time for the girls to have total free self-expression and they get to move freely and we're really silly and we'll, you know, moo and meow for, for Cal and Cat. And it's a really great opportunity for for everyone to just have, you know, 60 minutes or so of, of that total freedom. I hope, I hope that answers the question. I don't know if I can. Yeah, totally. And that actually just raised like another thing, how, how multifaceted this is, because these girls have got this opportunity, which might be unique among their friends, but with that extra opportunity comes this extra pressure and extra expectation because I'm sure that all of those girls would feel pressure just to make the most out of this and, like, they also need time to be kids. So it's so great that, like, play and fun is, like, built into the education. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Pon Harry now, and she now teaches the yoga classes, which is great. I mean, she's just, I mean, she's been a teacher for years and years and years. And so it's really amazing to then watch her teach, teach the students. They're all in like a big tarp in the middle of the schoolyard and have them all do yoga together. And, and how, and she loves it. And her sister actually went to India to do, to do teacher training as well. And I just feel like, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I've been doing yoga since I was a kid. I just feel like everyone loves, there's something for everyone with, with the yoga practice. And it's interesting as well, like, in, especially working in Rwanda, that a lot of the women really gravitate towards meditation practice and the self-care and affirmations and that, com- that part of it. And so I think it's taking what you need for the day or the hour or the moment in which you need it and then 
reassessing the next day or the next week or the next month or year is how we how we grow. And the great thing about a yoga practice is as well, it's not like they need ongoing supplies. Like once you have been guided through meditation, that's something that you can just continue on your own. You don't even need a mesh. Like you can sit anywhere and meditate or even bring that meditative awareness into the other tasks that you need to do in your day. I'm wondering as well is like I know that you visit local projects and kind of see some beautiful natural attractions. Is there much opportunity for cultural sharing between the groups that you're working with? Like do they share any like traditional dances or traditional music or just kind of local history and mythology with the participants? Definitely in Rwanda, there is a dance component to it. When we did our graduation ceremony this summer, because it was nine women who did our first ever 50-hour, it's called On the Ground, so it's a teacher training. And then these women are social workers who work mostly with primary school students and also teen moms as well. And so there was some local dance there, which was great and so much fun and totally needed my inhaler because I like ran out of breath. It was great. So definitely, I think there's definitely opportunities for that cultural sharing and then also appropriating aspects of what they are used to and then bringing it into the yoga practice as well that I think is then really beneficial in terms of it being music or different mudras or things of that nature. It makes it feel like a much more well-rounded engagement. Nice. And I guess to change the subject a, a bit again, we were talking about this idea of social distancing. And one thing I've noticed recently is that, I know, collectively, there seems to be a, this sort of anxiety, uncertainty in the air. And I feel like in a way, it's something that we're, we're all sort of feeling and, and sharing with each other. And I guess this almost isn't really even a question, but I'm wondering if you feel that this is something that in a way sort of binds us together and sort of may lead us to sort of, I guess, a a more unified community? I think so. I think this is a big check-in for everyone in terms of quality of life before and now during and now what is is it going to look like after? I think spending more time at home or with our animals or with our loved ones and having that personal connection is is so important. And then also reconnecting maybe with friends or family members or people who you haven't spoken to in, in, in a long time. Even if it's just to check in right now to say, hey, how are you? Like, do you need anything? I think it's only going to expand, it sounds really cheesy, but to expand humanity's hearts. I've seen him. I've, there's this meme going around, and it says it feels like Mother Earth sent us all of our sent us all to our rooms to think about what we've done. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm kind of like, uh, maybe. But how do we look at that positively? It's like, okay, fine. Maybe we are all in our rooms, our flats, our houses, and what do we do with that? Do we organize? Do we read? Do we write? Do we? collage or knit or make something or I don't know I think I think it's a really great opportunity to feed parts of ourselves that maybe have been neglected for for a long time so trying to see the silver lining 
in this is hope will hopefully be somewhat comforting. Absolutely. And I guess also I'm wondering this feeling of uncertainty and anxiety that we are all feeling, do you think it's maybe something that people who don't live in the West have sort of been living with for a while and this is just something that's new to us? I think everyone has anxiety. I have anxiety. Most of my friends have anxiety or have verbally told me they have anxiety, but I don't but I oftentimes feel like that's just a symptom of, of living in like a big fast city. But I understand what you're saying in terms of the uncertainty in terms of what's going to happen next. And in that regard, yeah, absolutely. I think that this is a really challenging way to to make us reassess what we take for granted. Mm. And I hope that yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I hope that at the end of this people will want to to do more and really be a part of the world in a very big way. I think as well if you haven't come up against a situation where you actually feel uncomfortable and unsure about the future that's out of your hands, it's this really interesting opportunity to notice how am I responding to this? Am I just going to buy all the toilet paper that I can or (laughs) am I going to? Yeah, I think it's just this interesting chance to notice where our minds go, how we respond, and then that's what we're working with. Like that's the practice, just where to from here and how can I notice those fears or that want to take control or a positive side of that as well, some forward planning, some community care, setting up some systems. Yeah, it's just I feel like this is what yoga is for mentally and also physically to give us this outlet for some of this anxious energy that we might be feeling in our bodies, that's why we do these practices, right? So that we are equipped to deal with tumultuous life events and navigate them in a more skillful way and just have that subtle distance within ourselves to notice what might be coming up and to know that we can choose to respond to that rather than just being reactive. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I, 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 I couldn't say it, said it better myself. Uh, I read an interesting article about all of this, and it was looking at at a couple, and in terms of how each each person in the couple were, were dealing with it, and in terms of their approaches to hand sanitizers or social distancing or isolating, and how it basically said that the one person who had been a war correspondent and traveled and been in some really dangerous situations, essentially had experienced quite a bit of trauma, was much more, I don't want to say relaxed about it, but wasn't quite as anxious and stressed and was a little bit more grounded than her partner who hadn't had the same life experiences as as she had. And I felt like that I found that article to be really interesting just in terms of kind of what's been put in your path prior to this maybe has made some people, I don't know, I guess, able to 
not buy all the toilet paper or to <laughs> or to not kind of go into apocalypse mode and make bunkers and hunker down and and still be present and of the world like I for instance like I fell today I was crossing the street and and like tripped and it was really embarrassing and and this woman was on a bike and she stopped granted she couldn't touch me or, or physically engage with me but she still took the time to park the bike near me and and stop and ask if I was okay and I and that was really that was really nice that even though everyone is very much in self-protection protection mode, that this woman still wanted to check in on me and make sure that I was okay. Yeah, I think that's so important because as well as the self-distancing for personal protection, it's about community safety as well. Like we're staying home so that everyone can be a bit more safe. And I think that there's this really interesting dichotomy in that because how do you still be in community when you're staying home and not interacting with people face-to-face? And I think probably a lot of people are just navigating that and figuring that out. And that was like like your example with the guy petting your dog. Like there are still these opportunities for connection and social distancing doesn't have to mean emotional isolating as well, but maybe we do need to put a bit more energy and creativity into thinking about other ways to connect. Yeah, I think so. I think that's I think that's what's going to be the saving aspect in all of this is is still making sure that we humans are we like to be together and in, in, in tribes and have your friends that you meet. I mean, for me, like I'm very, very social. I'm out pretty much every night of the week meeting up with friends or going to movies or operas or art openings and, and things, or even going to like yoga classes or events or things like that. And so it's been really challenging for me just to be completely honest, to then have to switch off that whole side of myself and to kind of go into retreat retreat mode i'm in my apartment i can go we're allowed to go out once a day for to exercise so my trips walking to the park with my yoga mat to do some yoga in the park and then going back home and making dinner so it's yeah i'm i'm, I'm interested to see what comes out of this not only for me personally but for but for everyone in terms of what shifts that we all decide to make Mm, absolutely and i've got one more question but before i ask you that is there anything else you'd like to share in terms of like me or sojourn or oh whatever you like whatever's on your mind i think being kind doesn't cost anything so i think if for me i always try to operate from a place of kindness even if i don't know I just think it's really important to remember that, especially now. I can't keep, you know, especially now, especially now. During a global pandemic, I think trying to be as kind as possible is is really important. And so I hope people can can remember that. Nice. Well, I think you've actually answered my, my last question, which is <laughs> <laughs> if you could distill everything that you learn and teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? But unless you'd like to add something to that. I think it's about, hmm, I would say that it's about being brave. I think when being brave in terms of 
and being curious about the world. I think that's really important. And being curious about different people and different walks of life. And through that experience, then also being curious about yourself and maybe wanting to figure out why we do certain things or what are different ways of, of practicing yoga. I think that's I think that's been my whole journey with this is thinking that I was doing something for one reason and then realizing that I was on a completely different path and then only for everything to come full circle in a really beautiful and amazing way and a way that I would have never imagined if you'd asked me at 19 during my study abroad program in Cambodia. Never would have thought that it would have taken me here. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time, your energy and the amazing work you do. Yeah, thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us. Amazing. Thank you both for having me. Interesting circumstances nonetheless, but yeah, so, so incredible. And I hope that everyone in your family is and friends are like safe and well, and we will, we will get through this. And same to you. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jordan. As you heard, COVID-19 has put a bit of a pause on the work that they're doing with Souljourn. So hopefully they'll be able to get back into it and help out those people that really deserve it. For our next episode, we speak with Cora Giraud. Cora is a yoga teacher, business mentor, and the creator of the Teaching Yoga podcast. Joe and I were on her podcast a few weeks ago, and we had a great time. So we were really happy to return the favor and learn a bit more about what she's doing. So look out for that episode in two weeks' time. Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Joe and I would like to honor the elders of these wisdom traditions of yoga and mindfulness from India and Asia. We also wish to honor the traditional custodians of the unceded land where this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so much for listening. Joe and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love. <laughs>